Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I want him to know that I understand the things that he went through. Hmm. But um, I just want him to know that for the, th- the, the things that have happened, I'm, yeah, I'm, I still love him. Sir, what if the writer is attempting to create a story where nothing much happens, where people don't change? More reflection of the real world. Nothing happens in the world? Are you out of your fucking mind? Welcome back to A Theory of Mind, a podcast about brains, minds, and the lived-in experience of change from your host, me, author and biographer, Ben McKelvey. We've got a great interview today with former UFC fighter James Tahuna. Um, He's someone who's overcome real physical and emotional trauma to become a, a very happy and settled bloke, and you'll hear from James in a couple of minutes. But first, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you all for listening. I've loved doing these interviews. I had no idea what the response was going to be when they were published, but it's been overwhelmingly great. Um, I love that you're listening. Uh, I love that you're contacting me about the show, suggesting guests or, or just saying that you like the show. It's all been really gratifying. So I just want to take this moment and say thank you. Okay, so James Tahuna. James is an athlete. Uh, formerly, he was one of Australasia's most venerated fighters, and currently he's one of Australia's best stone lifters. We talk about uh, James's UFC rise and also his fall, uh, which happened when he started to lose his chin. It's a common term in combat sports, losing your chin, uh, and essentially it means that the fighter can be knocked out more easily. This actually has nothing to do with the chin, and of course, everything to do with the brain. We do get into brain damage here a little bit, but we also talk about the positive and redemptive nature of martial arts. Uh, James tells the story of being an abused and bullied child who became a confident and fully realised man through the vehicle of martial arts. As always, if you want to contact the show, and I love when you do, find me on Facebook or at my Instagram, at Benny Merck, B-E-N-N-Y-M-C-K. And without further ado, James Tahuna. So, James, I, I did want to get into um, your fighting career and <clears throat> the end of your fighting career. But we've spoken previously about, uh, about the circumstances which you, you grew up in and, um, and your dad, who, who is a great mate of yours now, but someone who has had a few troubles himself. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about, about your upbringing, about your, your memories of your childhood and, um, and, and whatever you want to share? Yep. Um, I was uh, born and bred in New Zealand, a small country town's. And um, uh, had some had some experiences growing up that uh, that affected me. Yeah, my brother, and um, so my my father. It was uh, yeah, my father was um, he experienced uh, heavy. He was heavily traumatized when he was uh, twelve years old, mm. and um, that carried on through his a few years in his life. And um, I got to experience um, a bit of that. Yeah. Did you did you know then that he was that he was suffering through trauma, or did you just sort of think that he that he was just angry? Oh, at the time I was just yeah, just trying to just this is it, this is what it is, and um, got to learn how to to deal with it, manage it better. Yeah. So um, yeah, we quickly had to learn. 
learn on the fly. Yep. You and Tama, so is Tama older than you or younger? Yeah, Tama, Tama's four years older than me. Yeah. So did you guys sit down and talk about coping strategies? You're like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Uh, no, we were just aware of what was working and what wasn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, we won't do that again. Maybe we'll do this. <laughs> I just see an image of the two of you just just sitting there bedraggled and bleeding and you're like, all right, we fucked up. <laughs> yeah, we quickly learn. Um, so what what was, do you think, I mean, you know, you're in a unique position that you're, you and your dad have a good relationship now. That's, yep, that, that's yep, still true. Yep. And so presumably you can go back and talk about what was going on at that time. Do you have a relationship where, we, where you will do that? Um, yeah, we kind of like, we... We don't dive into it, but we kind of like um, talk about certain things that have happened and, and still a, Then my dad likes to joke a lot. He always throws jokes around and um, yeah. yeah, he won't say, go go into detail about things that happened, but then he'll um, end it, like he'll end it with a joke or a laugh or something yeah. to like, you know. To, to diffuse the situation. Yeah, sort of yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things that you told me was, was, really, was really grim. Um, but does he even remember all that stuff in, in his moments of extreme trauma? Um, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I don't know if he's just buried it. Because it does seem to me the way that you sort of described it to me uh, <clears throat> is that he would go to another place. So it's, you know, it's entirely possible now that, that he doesn't remember all of it. Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah, I like to talk about it to, uh, about it with him, but yeah. uh, I'm not too sure if he would, yeah, he would cope. Yeah. I think I don't I don't know I don't know how to enter that yeah. conversation. Yeah, yeah. And what is the instinct then to to go and talk to him about it? You know, you're you're in a good place now, you and Tama. Um, so why do you think that that's something that you would like to do? Um, I I would just like to um, I think for for him I think he's regretting a lot, mm. and. Um, I want to know that I want him to know that I understand and like um understand like the things that he went through mm. and not fully understand I mean there'll be a lot that he that I don't know yeah but um I just want him to know that for the th- the, the things that have happened I'm yeah I'm, I still love him yeah yeah so how did you get a sense of the fact that something had happened to him when he was 12? Was this something that he came in and spoke to you later on or, or how, did you, uh, how did you know? It was just through um, uh, through talk through the family, yep, over so the years. Other, other family members who knew that, that yeah. something had happened to him. When did you yep. find that out? Uh, maybe in – always kind of was aware of it as a teenager – but then um, in my 20s and then 30s, started talking about it more, keeping my ears kind of open about, you know, mm. and discussing it more. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you were um, when you were a young man, you were, you were a, a pretty shy guy, right? I mean, you're still, you're still pretty shy. Yeah. But you, you were very shy. Is that part of the reason that you ended up doing martial arts? Is it, is it to give you confidence? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I knew the, um, the state that I was in. Um, as a kid, like shy, timid, um, was a target for bullying. Yeah, right. Um, just, you know, always if if there was like a conflict or confrontation or something, I would just curl up in, into my shell and just not want to, just want to disappear. So, yeah. What age was this, sort of like 10, 12? Uh, yeah, for, from as early as I can remember, like probably five years old, six years old. Mm. 
yeah, I remember being five or six, being at school and um, just not wanting to participate because I was afraid of... Confrontation. Yeah, confrontation or just someone asking me a question or, yeah, I was yeah, didn't want to be there. I just want to be on the outside just watching and listening yeah. and, <laughs> and learning. So you, had, so you had real confidence issues. Yeah. Yep. About, about everything. Yep. Yeah. Um, but you're a great athlete. I mean, you're an amazing athlete. So surely that must have manifested itself at some point in high school and you would have got some cachet. I mean. Yeah, it, um, it definitely picked up my confidence. I um, Learning martial arts for me was, uh, it was just a, a vehicle. I knew that was going to give me strength where I needed it. Tama did it before you? Uh Myself and Tom had done it at the same time. Yeah, right. Yep. So where did you go? What was the first martial arts that you did? So I think um, Dad took us to a karate when we were like uh, kids. And um, I think we'd done one or two sessions and it was never, yeah, we didn't we didn't continue going on for whatever reason. Mm. But um, we moved to another town in the South Island and there was a boxing gym there. And then Dad started getting involved and took us all down there and met the coach and um, we felt a part of this kind of click. Like it was a new, it was like an old gym that had been there for a long time, but it was yeah. um, rebuilding the game with you know, a couple of members in the community. And um, Dad wanted to be a part of something and, and brought us two boys along. And um, So he was yeah, training we, as well? Yeah, he was coaching as well. He just wanted to be involved. Yeah, so did he have a history of, of combat sports? Uh, no. It was <laughs> 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 just down the street. <laughs> he had some unofficial experience. Yeah, unofficial experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in this boxing gym, um, you, you found a little community. You know, you yeah. found these people that you want to spend more time with, you know, and it's um, uh, it's a, it's a sort of – it's a culture that you that has persisted through your life. I mean, that's that's probably true now. Of yep. um, of you know, you're still doing jujitsu, right? No, no, actually, I, yeah, I, I wanted to do it, but my body can't really. Ah, right. See, saying different things now. So, but but tell us a little bit about um, those early fights and, and the confidence that it that it sort of gave you. Oh, a huge boost for me. Uh, so I was twelve or thirteen years old when I started training. Yeah. Uh, the boxing training is quite hard and it's, it's, you know, you walk into like a hostile environment and you don't know what can There's happen. There's nowhere to run. Yeah, well, like you've got to get your shit sorted, otherwise you can get seriously hurt. Yeah. And um, I knew the state that I was in and what I needed. And um, I was a very, kind of a, a very slow learner. I knew that I was a slow learner. I knew I had to do something about that. So I was there putting probably, you know, when it would take a kid like maybe half an hour to learn a technique, it would take me like several hours, mm. but uh, I'll also put in those several hours to learn that technique. Why did you want to do it? I mean, it, you know, it sounds like at school at that time, you were sort of shying away from everything. And I can imagine there would have been a part of you, the instinct would have been just to go away and not do it, and yep. not be bad at it. Yeah. What kept you there? Was it your dad and your brother? Uh, I was, uh, yes, yep. My dad, my brother, because, I mean, if they went elsewhere, then I probably wouldn't have went. Mm. So they helped with that. And uh, for me to actually stay in there and want to continue, carry on doing it, it was um, – I always, always had um, – I knew, always, always knew that I was capable of something mm. and had a lot of faith. And uh, 
all all through your childhood, even yeah. though you was you had this yep. real confidence issue, you you, you felt like yeah, you I, were going to be something. Yeah, yeah, I felt like I was capable of more than just this. Yeah, because I knew the person that I was, and I was like, I knew, I know I can be, you know, I know I can do things, be be great at doing things. You're like there'll um, be something. Yeah, to be something, I'm I'm pretty aware of like where I am now. How do I get there? What do I need to do? Mm. And um, I guess, uh, you know, watching TV, role models on TV and seeing them, what they've done to get, be successful. Okay, well, that's it. That's what I need to do. Yeah. And so how did you migrate from, from boxing into, into, into mixed martial arts? Uh, moved over to Australia when I was 17. And my brother came across these um, UFC uh, fighting tapes, mixed martial arts fighting tapes at the markets. So we bought them. So sorry, then, just just before we go forward, why did you and your brother decide to come to Australia? Just for uh, a change of scenery, or yeah. So Tom, I came over here a year a year earlier, and mum and dad decided to make the move because we were kind of a, a tight family too. So oh, so Tom came over early, came yeah, over first, and yep. then the family came yep. over. Yeah, yep. right. Yeah, Tom has always been kind of the leader of the family, and yep. you know he goes off and does his own thing and. And we we kind of you know we're very tight with one another, and so we followed. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> Tama had found these tapes, and he's like, "Oh, this is gonna be us." Yeah, well, like uh, I guess you know, growing up and watching these uh, blood sport uh, movies and American hip kickboxer and and so on, we were like, yeah, pretty um, pretty surprised that this was actually a competition, and yeah. it was you know. Eventually, it was becoming legal. It was Kumite. Yeah, Kumite. It was, Kumite. Kumite. <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting. One style versus another style. Yeah. It was um, definitely exciting and it was something that I was attracted to. And so what did you uh, – did, did you guys just look at the tapes and go, okay, who's doing well? Hoist Gracie's doing well. What do we need to do? Yeah, jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu. Is that yep. how it worked? Yep, that's how it worked. You know, he's wearing a gi. We need to learn jiu-jitsu. Where can we find jiu-jitsu? Um, it took us maybe – a few months to find someone in the area that was teaching jiu-jitsu. Yeah. In that time, though, a few months, in the few months we were trying to find somewhere, uh, we would lay down, lay out a, a carpet, oh, sorry, carpet, a blanket out in the grass on the lawn. <laughs> then, just teaching yourself. Then, yeah, just like much. watching the old tapes. And oh, going, we're just watching the old tapes and, and um, were you wearing dressing gowns because hey? you wouldn't have been able to find gays. <laughs> no clothes and um, yeah, long clothes, pants and jumpers. Yeah, but um, just learning what um, just copying the stuff that um, fighters were winning fights with. Yeah, <laughs> and just like doing it over and over again. Yeah, going, okay, yeah. where was this guy's leg? Yeah. Where was this yeah. guy's arm? Yeah. That's amazing. But um, I think the one of the biggest things that helped us out was using our um, our mind too. So. Um, Imagining and uh, what do you call it when you um, visualize? Yeah, visualization. Yeah. I was just visualizing exactly how that move was, you know, um, executed. Yeah, because I replayed that tape, rewinded that tape over and over and over and over again. So um, it was so in my head. Don't fear the man with the ten thousand techniques. Fear the man that's done one technique ten thousand yeah. times. Yeah. Um, so who did you find? Because uh, uh, this intersects with Mark Hunt's story. Because I remember when I was doing the book with him, he came to Sydney and he was a kickboxer, but he yeah. had you know no experience with jujitsu. And he actually ended up training with you guys. He ended up finding yeah. you guys. But presumably, you guys had had found someone to to train you before then. Yep. Um, so two thousand four. I was training with um, John Pedro, and John Pedro was also um, Tyson, under Tyson's dad. Tyson's dad, yeah. yeah. 
And Tyson was only like a little kid. I think he was like 10 years old. Yeah. And he was training with us. Yeah. Doing quite well. Very uh, talented. Um, so um, John Pedro was also associated with uh, Marcelo Mizende, who was mm-hmm. one of three Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts at the time in Sydney. And So how did you find these guys? Uh, so I found Pedro and then Pedro found Marcelo. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Pedro organized that. And then we went across to Manly and, and um, created a relationship there. And um, Marcelo asked one weekend if I could rock up and, and help train with this big guy, big mm. heavyweight. Yeah. Okay, well, a big guy, and you know, I'll be able to gain a few things, get a bit stronger, um, training with a big body. And um, there's Mark Hunt as I walk out to the gym. He's um, warming up, doing laps around the mat, and I'm like, oh, no. wow. <laughs> I wouldn't know Mark from the K1 days. Yeah, 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 so I'm spinning now. I'm He'd just already like, won the K1, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, I'm buzzing, and then, yeah, Mark being Mark, he goes, hey, man, what's up? And hey, hey. So I'm trying to play it cool, and then we just started training and yeah, build that relationship from there. Yeah. What was he like then? Um you know, his training ethic wasn't particularly good. You know, if, if anyone who's read the book knows at the time, he was sort of hot and cold a little bit. Yeah. Um, oh, when we trained, it was training. It was good it was training. On. Yeah. Yep, it was on. Yeah. Um, so I, you can't really comment on or judge what he'd done outside of that. Yeah. I just don't know. Yeah. Before you went to the UFC, you were fighting here in Australia for AFC. Was that right? Uh, or the CFC, maybe? CFC. Yeah. So yeah. how did uh, tell me about the the early fights that you had and uh, your experiences with a crowd? Um, that was uh, that was awesome. I was, um, I guess, like at that stage, I'd like I was just becoming obsessed with mixed martial arts, MMA, yeah. fighting, and I was working working as a, a brickies labourer at the time. So I'd work five days a week, and then. Um, everything around that I would train in the morning before I went to work and then train straight after work and uh, being so obsessed I just put so much time and effort into it loved it this um, was always with a view to competing yeah 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 and then I met Mark and then Mark um, we we built that relationship and uh, Mark brought me over to one of his fights in Pride and I just was exposed to this mixed martial arts world of um, how big it was didn't realize it. I yeah. thought it was just, you know, UFC and that was it. Then experienced that pride experience in Japan. It was huge. Was it one of the, like, massive ones, 50,000 people, that sort of stuff? Yeah, something like that. It was yeah. um, it was awesome. Yeah. Really good experience. And, um, yeah, Mark gave me that opportunity and just really opened up my eyes. And I thought, you know what, um, he's, uh, he's a Polynesian that's, you know, had rough upbringings and um, he's he puts in the work. So... Mm. You know, maybe if I put in a bit more work and and slug it out, I'll be able to get there too. Mm. So, um, yeah, he def- definitely inspired me to push a bit harder. So, Pride was the place where you thought you would go. Which, incidentally, Pride and K One, <clears throat> a lot of Polynesian Kiwis had had ended up fighting in um, in Pride and K One. There was um, um, there was Clay Amatagi, is that right? Yeah, Clay. Yeah, yeah and his brother, I think, maybe as well or, or his cousin and then there was Ray Sefu obviously you yep. know, so so there was a little bit of a path being beaten yep um, let's take my mind back a fair bit now it was also <laughs> a time where I just had my um, 
<laughs> tunnel vision on. Yeah, yeah, of course. Your <laughs> so everything around me was like, yeah, I wasn't too really taking notice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, I mean, it would have been amazing, and it was amazing for Mark as well. You know, fighting in Australia, you know, a couple of hundred people. You know, there was there was a bit of a scene, and then going to Japan and just seeing fifty thousand people. It was the biggest thing on television there at the time as well. All of the huge international superstars were there, so it would have been a, a transformative moment. Yeah, it was um, just, yeah, it was huge for me because, I mean, going back to when I was a kid, being afraid of confrontation, and then stepping in the ring for my very first fight when I was 14 years old. Mm. So for me to do that when I was 14 years old, I was shit scared of everything. Yeah. And then I get matched up on this card in deep in the South Island called Invercargill, this place in the bottom of New Zealand. Yeah. And it's at army base. So um, it's that army base, and we walk out to the ring, and there's a ring in the middle of like a hangar, and uh, all the audience is probably like, I don't know, say a couple of hundred, you know, guys there. Um, they're all like uh, part of the inf- infantry, yeah. just in uniform. Yeah. So I'm walking out, and they're looking at me as I'm walking out. Oh, man. I was, and you're a 14-year-old I'm, kid? Yeah, I'm only just like a little scaredy-cat kid. <laughs> were you fighting another kid, or were you fighting a man? Yeah, no, I was fighting another kid a year older than me, I think. Um, you had... Ring experience, one or two fights or something, maybe. I can't remember. But um, I get into that ring and I'm like, oh, no, this is – I'm going to die. <laughs> but um, the bell went and um, we started boxing. Um, yeah, at the end of the fight, he was declared the winner. Uh, lots of punches were thrown, not by me. Um, lots of punches didn't land. Um, I think I didn't get. I got out of the ring um, without a punch being landed, so yeah, I was yeah. um, I was happy. <laughs> but um, I didn't get discouraged from that fight. I thought, okay, well, it's yeah. <laughs> you're like, if that's the worst thing that can happen, you yeah. know, like I can do this again. Yeah, I can yeah. do this again. I can I'm, calm down a little bit as well. Yeah, and enjoy yeah, it. yeah. I just thought myself as okay. Oh, well, I'm, I'm getting stronger. I'm yeah. better than what I was yesterday. So. Just keep that ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about how you ended up fighting internationally. Was the UFC the first place where you where you fought with a big organization? Did you fight with Pride? Uh, no. Um, was about to. Mark actually uh, got me a one-fight contract, like, yeah, right. a, like a trial fight. Yeah. And then um, UFC bought out Pride and that happened and that was yeah, that. Was that. Did you migrate from that one fight? Some of the pride contracts yeah. were, were were acknowledged. Yeah. Was yours acknowledged? Did no, because that, that, I was. That didn't migrate? Yeah, yeah, nah. Yeah, no, I wasn't. But um, it wasn't until maybe like a year or two later. I just kept on pushing, kept on pushing. Okay, well, UFC. Because um, you 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 fought a couple of the UFC guys outside of the UFC. You uh, you fought Anthony Parrish, right? Yeah. Um, before you fought in the UFC. Yeah. And maybe Hector Lombard as well, or no? Um, he was fighting in Japan. Right. He, he was fighting in Japan. But, um, yeah, I was, um, I was racking up fights and, and there was rumor of UFC coming to Sydney, yeah. Australia. And I thought, okay, well, it's coming in the following year. So maybe this year if I re- really work hard and get some notches under my belt and get some wins happening and yeah. just train hard and, 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 um, you know, build my name. I'd be able to get an undercard or, you know, people would be like aware of me. Yeah. So um, I quit my job, borrowed some money, took a gamble, trained full time, and then won that first fight. And then, okay, paid everyone back. This was your first UFC fight? You did get on UFC 110? No, no, this is to get there. Oh, this is to get in there, yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah, paid everyone back in the next fight, done the same thing, borrowed money so I can train full time, pay everyone back, and then... 
uh, got on roll, then got got offered a um, a contract to fight in the UFC. Being a local boy, this was one ten. One ten, yeah, yep. yep. And then uh, who did you fight? Uh, a guy called Igor Prokayek. Oh, I remember Igor Prokayek. They, they didn't they call him the janitor uh, or no, something no, like that. that. Wasn't a guy? Um, he was. Oh, I forgot what they called him. He was a tough dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. There were some amazing fighters, even though there wasn't a title fight for that UFC 110. Um, I was following George Sotiropoulos round for a story, oh, um, yeah. you know, meeting all the fighters. It was, it, was, it was actually an amazing event. The, you know, Mark was actually on the under-under card because he was on the outs with the UFC. Yeah. Um, uh, Kane Velasquez was up uh, fighting Bigfoot, right, uh, for, the, for the main event? Uh, Nogueira. Yeah. That's yeah. an old one. Yeah. yeah. Um, That's right. Yeah, right. So what was the experience like? Because I, yeah, I, was, I was there in the stadium and it was just electric from, from my perspective. It must have been incredible for you. Yeah, it was. Um, well, to be honest, I was uh, the first fighter on the undercard. So yeah, so everyone was having coffee I, and bacon and eggs. Yeah, well, like, you know, a UFC card will go from first fight to the last fight. will go for like, I don't know, say five hours or something. Yeah. Long time, right? From the first fight to the last fight. It's only the main event card that has like four fights or yeah. five fights or whatever. That actually most people see on TV, but you anyway, know the whole card's a long time. So I thought, okay, first fight in the card is going to be like probably not even a quarter of it filled by then. And then uh, curtains pulled back, and then the lights come on, and then shit, well, every single head is sitting in their seat. <laughs> <laughs> I just had my head down. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Walked out there and then... And it probably would have been 11 o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, 11 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Not that the time made a difference for me. I was ready to go any time. Yeah. Um, but just walking out there, experiencing that and then... then did, you, uh, did you let yourself enjoy it or just duck your head down and just sort of walk to the... Uh, ducked my head down and just like a mixed set of emotions. Yeah, I was yeah thriving on that next minute. Oh, no. And then, oh, shit, who's that? Oh, I can spot... You know, thingy over there in the you're seeing you your friends and stuff yeah. Like that. Oh man, it was pretty crazy. But um, yeah, it was an awesome experience. Yeah. And again, like uh, when I uh, go back to that time when I experienced that, it just throws me, throws me back to when I was a kid too. Like um, yeah. knowing that what state I was in and and the reasons why I I started martial arts. So you did feel sports. you did feel a sense of pride that you're like I, I felt like I was going to be someone and I, and I am you know people are people are cheering people are loving this yeah yeah I just had that yeah a lot of pride yeah and it took many years to build this pride yeah um, now you had you, you had an incredible run at the UFC um, and you actually ended up headlining did did you not headline the first New Zealand UFC event I've, yeah I headlined the first New Zealand yeah. and was was that the event where you did the Men in Black walkout. No, there was a, another event prior to that, but um, yeah, the Men in Black one was pretty special too. Yeah, you got to tell us that because it's like, you know, from being a kid that's like, oh, I just want to be in the periphery and not to be seen to doing well, one was, of the most ostentatious walkouts in USC history. Well, I still was like in that state of mind, like I knew I was capable of something and like I was a part of the UFC roster. Yeah. How many fighters on the UFC roster? Maybe a couple of hundred or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well. I'm, I'm still capable of more than just like another person in the roster. I know, I can, you know, so um, I want to go out there and shine and and uh, do something good and do something fun. And at the time too was uh, yeah, some of the my teammates went, you know, we we're arguing and the whole crew. So I had to bring bring up the morale and yeah, and, right. Yeah, bring the culture back and build it up again, make it strong. So 
that um, in a black <laughs> I love dance. the idea of like arguing with your team members over something and then going, okay, the way we're going to, we're going to bring this together is we're going to do a, a, a uniform dance as we walk <laughs> out to the Octagon at a USC event. It was quite funny because we were actually, there was a team of six of us, or five or six of us, and we're over in uh, London. So we're over there trying to acclimatise. We're there for two weeks before the fight. We're there for two weeks. We're staying at the same house. We're training with each other. Each other. So mm. five, six alpha dudes mm. like – around each other 24-7 doesn't work Yeah, and um, sure enough the arguments and the fights happened um, one of my mates who came with me he, um, he we were talking about um, entrances and I was like oh yeah it was always something that I'd love to do because I love Pride so much and Pride had the, the biggest entrances and then uh, I think um, I come up with the idea of you know Love uh, Will Smith, Men in Black. It'd be yeah. cool to walk out. How how would you go if um how would you like the idea if we all walked out? Kind of toss it up like a joke. Yeah, but really, I was serious. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then you kind of oh yeah, that'll be cool. And I was like, okay, well that's that's a green light for me. Oh, it was amazing. It was. Do you reckon it was, we should do it? Yeah. All right. So we um, the best. Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices. Down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. I was I was wondering whether it was um, because you had gone to one of those Pride events because those Pride intros, you know, the screaming woman and the taiko drums and, you know, like it was amazing to see that stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, it was um, very, very special. Mark brought me over a couple of times and I got to experience the um, the opening of oh, Pride. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just like goosebumps right through your, your whole body. It was yeah. very something very, very different than it probably I went – Expecting a while, you know, be able to experience in a, in a long time. I think. I mean, I think I think the biggest Pride event was one hundred and ten thousand people, and it's actually on YouTube when you can see the uh, the opening of that event. I think it's like Pride fifteen or something like that, and everybody's up in this scaffold. Mark's there, and it's Vandalay Silver and Miko Crocop and stuff like that, and it has this grandeur, you know, like PF uh, the UFC is is a bigger money spinner now than it was then, but mm. that is where MMA peaked. I mean, that was that was an incredible era. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. But one of the things that I did want to talk to you about was, <clears throat> you know, you were having these arguments with these people. You, you were at the top of, your, top of your game. You know, you were headlining cards. But the money wasn't necessarily what other people perceived. You know, the UFC has tight purse strings um, except for the absolute uber superstars. It's, you know, Mark had an incredible contract or a couple of incredible contracts. Um, but for other people... Did you have to maintain a job when you were still a sort of a UFC star? Um, I was fortunate enough to have sponsors. Yeah. But so, outside of that, you would have outside had to of that, Yeah, I would have, yeah. Outside of um, yeah, not having any sponsors, I would have to work a, a full-time job. That, is, that is not something that people, UFC anyway. that people think. Um, I do know that the majority of the fighters that were, you know, trying to get the next fight or trying to get the next pay, purse, pay packet, um, the – Went in a, like a, a top position. Mm. A lot of fighters living as um, you know, hippies day to day, trying to survive yeah. till the next um, pay packet. With UFC careers, and this is quite often the case with UFC careers, 
they're great until they're not. Um, <clears throat> you uh, you had a, a submission loss, I believe, to Glover Teixeira, and then you you were on uh, the same card as Mark when he was fighting Bigfoot, and you got knocked out by uh, Shogun, <clears throat> and it was a little left hook. It it, it wasn't. It was the sort of punch that you would have taken many, many times in your career yeah. and wouldn't have knocked you out. Yeah. Um, were you at that stage um, at a place where you were sort of susceptible to punches and you would have known this in training? Um, when you had the, the Shogun fight, you know, were you a, a bit fragile then? Uh, yeah, I was. I actually noticed this when um, so I fought Glover Tashira and I lost by submission and then I had the Shogun fight coming up. So during that training preparation, I noticed that something was happening. That was the first time? Yeah, during that preparation, during that camp, yeah. Mm. So tell me about what happened. Tell me about the way that it manifested itself. Uh, I was sparring Tyson Pedro. Mm. And Tyson Pedro was... Um, A kid at the time, I would Yeah, imagine. pretty much. And he was also wanting to compete in MMA. I think he had one or two fights, not even. Mm. And he rocked me and I was like buckled my legs I was doing a chicken dance and then got back up and then tried to tough it out and keep mm. on battling and then finish that sparring session but then after that I'm thinking fuck <laughs> well you're laughing about it now but I can imagine at the time it would have been it would have been pretty fucking terrifying not only because you know there was something going on with your brain but also because this was your bread and butter this was your career and this was your dream Yeah, and you're like man if this kid is giving me the chicken dance like what's going on yeah 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 and I just thought, oh, here, every time I train with Tyson out, I'm going to make sure I have my hands up because he's very good. <laughs> is that what you thought initially, just that Tyson had super heavy hands? You didn't know that oh, something no, was like, going I on Oh, no, I just thought, you know, the, the status that I was at, yeah, like, yeah. being in the UFC, I was like, yeah, sweet, I'm I'm good, I'm yeah. good, I've got skills. And yeah. Tyson comes out, bang, and I'm yeah. oh, fuck. He freaking brought me down to earth real quick. Yeah. But but what I mean, no one knows actually what was going on. But there was something going on in your brain that mm. was sort of turning on the light, turning off the lights a, a little bit quicker than it, than it should have. Yeah. Um, so did that keep going through training? And and were you having other effects? You know, were you becoming susceptible to light? Were you getting headaches? What was going on? Um, so yeah, from that point on, when I was you know when that happened, I um, it wasn't too noticeable, but. Like further on, preparing for different fights and sparring and training practice, I'll get rocked mm. probably yeah more times than I should have mm. um, that I would have before. Yeah. And so, did anyone ever talk to you about that, or did you talk to anyone else about it? Or was that kind of a taboo? No, I was just like um, shake it off and just make sure that you work on your defense and make you know so it doesn't happen again. Did Did you get a sense that? Things were changing in your career. I mean, you 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 know you had an incredible chin, and now all of a sudden it was it was getting a bit a bit wonky. Yeah, well, uh, I guess um, you know, copying losses and then getting rocked, and then um, I guess my um, started becoming a little bit more emotional. And um, did it manifest itself as as a lack of confidence rather than recognizing that phys- physiological something something had changed? Yeah, my confidence. Yeah, my confidence was um, definitely dropping, mm. and. Um, when you watched that that Shogun Hua fight, or when you watched it back after you know after experiencing it, mm. did you look at it and go, "What's going on? That that probably shouldn't have knocked me out." Yeah, I um, it was only like a little small little tap, mm. and I just I was thinking far out. I'm pretty sure I've been hit with, with um, bigger strikes than 
you know, it was only a couple of fights ago where I got head kicked mm. in a temple and then dropped in and stood back up and went again and fought the rest of the, the whole fight. Um, but that one, it was just um, a small little tap. Mm. I thought, oh, okay, well, um, yeah, dropped my confidence. I got to, you know, try and pick up my confidence back up and work on my weaknesses and so you didn't, defense. And you didn't recognise that your brain was changing? No, I at didn't. All. No. Is that something that fighters don't talk about? You know, because it, it it is pretty common for guys as they have a lot of fights. Sometimes their chin will just go. You yeah, know? like yeah. but it's not something that people talk about. Oh, back when I was competing, it was no, not really. It wasn't really talked about. Yeah, or maybe it was. I just wasn't. You know, I didn't have my ears open to it. Yeah, uh, not as much as what you know it has been now. Mm. I don't know if it's been talked about. Well, it has been talked about a lot now. And, you know, I'll pick up on everything about CTE and yeah. concussions and, yeah. But not then. Mm. So <clears throat> you had the the fight with, with Shogun, and I think Steve Bossy was the next fight after that. Yep. I think. can't remember. When you walked into that fight and when you were training in the lead-up to that fight, were you a little bit fearful? You know, we, we, did you know that – did you think, oh, fuck, I might walk out and I might get hit with something that's not particularly hard and – you know, I might end up on the floor here. Uh, during that f- uh, preparation, no, not really. Yeah. It didn't really come to my mind. Um, I just thought, you know, Steve Bosset, he's a, he's a new guy in the UFC. Yeah. He's not a fighter. He's, he's an, an ice hockey player. He's yeah. an ice hockey player. <laughs> he come from like many years of playing ice hockey. And then I've been fighting combat sports for like, you know, 18 years or something. Yeah. Because you look at, uh, you know, look you look at your um, – you look at your career and you look at Steve Bossy and you go, oh, the UFC gave you a nice easy one. Yeah. You know, like they wanted to boost your confidence. They wanted to build your name back up again. Yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. That's what it looked like. Yeah. I, um, you know, I was, I've always been against um, fighting people that have got, had less experience than me. You've always yeah. like aimed for the top. A lot of people always said, oh, you know, Tahuna could have been a great fighter, but he got, he got fit to the Sharks straight away too early. You know, UFC didn't play him a, a good card. could have been a great like, fighter. You, you were a great fighter. Oh, man, I just, you know, all those people that I asked for, like Shogun and yeah. Tashira, I, yeah. I put my hand up for them. Yeah, yeah. And I was straight in there. I wanted the challenge. That's what I want. I love challenges. That's the best thing about it. Yeah. And um, you got this bossy fight. Yeah, they're giving me that guy, and I was like, oh, but then I'm kind of on a downward spiral too, so maybe I need to – I've got to pick up my confidence a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I did, took that did, fight. Did you have any conversations with the matchmakers, you know, Joe Silver or whoever, about why you were getting this Steve Posse fight? Uh, no, I just yeah. out with my manager. Yeah, they just yep. offered it to you and you had to think about it and you were like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, <clears throat> when you were training – were you also getting some chicken dance issues and, you know, like were, were there any other neurological issues when you were training for that fight that you were aware of? Yeah, yeah. What sort of, of stuff? Yeah, a couple of, non, um, a couple of um, more knocks and um, – Like what? Uh, during training. So just experiences where you'd cop a couple of strikes and then you'd be knocked yeah. out or chicken Oh, no, or... like, um, yeah, rocked yeah. and just seeing stars and stuff. So um, I just – I guess for – that camp too, I actually started using uh, headgear more often. And so what did what did your trainer think about that? Uh, 
all the people around you in your camp or your brother, did, did anyone recognise that something else was going on? Did anyone try and sit down and have a chat with you and go, are you all right? What's going on? Oh, no, not really. No, yeah. no. Because I was like the captain of my ship. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, they were just go like, oh, yeah. They, they probably had a lot of things to say to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they didn't because they didn't want to plant something in my head, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, that's fair enough. Plant something else to like lose. Yeah, they're probably afraid of me dropping my confidence or yeah. something. Or yeah, yeah. And so you get out in this um, bossy fight, and uh, I think it was probably only a minute in the first round, right? Where he, he caught you minute, again think, with a little yeah. left hook from memory. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, I mean, you know, the the Shogun Hua punch was um, was relatively insignificant. This one, there's, there's no way that it should have dropped you. So, <clears throat> tell me about what happened after that fight. Um, so you got taken back, uh, backstage, uh, got looked at, you know, eyes checked and everything by the, the doc and then got sent to hospital. Mm. And, uh, why, why was that? Uh, I got sent to hospital because it was, uh, because I'd been badly knocked out and, uh, to get my, um, uh, brain scanned. But there must have been some other effects because people get, you know, people get knocked out all the time and then they sort of bounce back and they seem to be okay and they don't get transported to hospital. There must have been some sort of lingering effect, something that the doctor saw that he didn't like. Yeah, so um, the doctor saw uh, a, a bunch of lesions on the brain. Um, this is when you got the scan. Yeah. But the doctor at the oh, sorry, uh, at yeah. the event must have found must have seen something. Yeah, must have been something in your eyes or you having memory problems or what was going I'm on? I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. I can't yeah. remember. I can't remember. Yeah, right. So it's entirely possible that he asked you what your name was, you might not have got it yeah, right or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I could that. have yeah, yeah. answered like another question, um, given a, a wrong answer. But um, yeah. Yeah, it could have been this way I've got sent off. But, yeah, I would have thought that. I wonder if most um, fighters, when they do suffer KO loss, do they get sent no. to get brain scanned? They only just get um, no. Un- so, ah, sorry, assist. Yeah, backstage. It's yeah. only if the doctor looks at he looks at your pupils, asks you a couple of questions, and then thinks that there might be ongoing issues, as there was with oh, you. Oh yes, so they see me. Yeah, okay. so there must have been something going on. Yeah, you know, yeah. You must have either seemed discombobulated or yep. couldn't answer the doctor's questions or yep. something like that. Yeah. Um, so they, they transport you to hospital and you, you get a, a brain scan, which is presumably the first time that it's happened to you. Yeah. And what were your, what were your feelings like then? You must have been bummed out. You'd, you'd had this loss that you didn't think you were going to have, plus you've ended up in hospital, plus you're getting this brain scan. Uh, so I uh, had all this pride built up for so many years. Mm. Since I was a little kid, so I started this journey to, you know, give my give myself some pride, mm. some um, self esteem and, and confidence that I was lacking when I was a kid, and had, had built this up for so many years, and then crushed. I felt like I had it all crushed, yeah, <laughs> all in one night. And I was like, oh man, I just felt that small, yeah, there. It felt worthless. And when they told you that there were some lesions on your brain, I can imagine that, that would have been even more. Devastating because you're like I've you know I've lost this pride plus I might have these sort of ongoing issues. Yeah, well I didn't know understand too much about the brain at that time, you know, as much as what I do now. Yeah, um, so I you knew didn't... it wasn't good. Yeah, and uh, made a quick decision. Got to start, you know, looking after my health and, and do some research on my own and find out what I can do to make myself, you know, heal. Yeah, or, you know, manage and myself and get better. Because you did. 
from memory, I think you told me that you had um, ongoing issues for weeks after that. You you had problems with light. You had to be in a darkened room. You you had some emotional issues as well after that bossy fight. Is that right? Yeah, emotional issues. Um, I don't know if I was depressed or not. I I, I just don't know. Suicidal th- thoughts? Uh, no. I just felt all I felt was just I just felt worthless. Yeah. Um, but but you also there, there were other effects though right like you, yeah. you had a bit of a ringing in your ears you yeah, couldn't I was, you um, couldn't be in direct yeah. sunlight yeah yeah bad headaches and then repeating myself quite often mm. um, yeah quite often mm. to um, those that are there were around me my brother and my close mate and my coach yeah I was repeating myself a lot was there any follow up from the UFC after this uh, no did they. You know, pay for your medical bills, or did they try and give you some sort of treatment after that? Did they did was their medical program to check in after this had happened to you? Uh, there was no program. Uh, they did fix my medical bills, my scans, um, and my visits to the psychologist. Oh, so you went to a psychologist afterwards? Yeah. Yep. Yep. And um, and that was it. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Yep. So. You went to see the psychologist. Was it because you, you know, you were feeling depressed afterwards? Uh, I went there because uh, a doctor that was at the UFC, mm. who I know, mm. um, he was he's, he's a local guy from um, Brisbane, from the combat sports yeah. area community. He advised, okay, well, when you see this guy here, you know, this guy's pretty good. So, you know, let's get let's get your let's get your your head sussed out, yeah. get some answers. So you you know for you. Was this a neurologist or a psychologist? I think it was neurologist. Neurologist, right, psychologist. yeah. Psychologist. Neurologist, yeah, yeah. Neurologist. Psychologist guy just yeah, sits yeah, down yeah, yeah, and says, yeah, yeah. you know, tell yeah. me about your childhood. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, it was, so it was the UFC paid for these neurology uh, sessions. Yeah. And what did the neurologist say to you when he saw those lesions in your brain? Um, he just pretty much said, he he told me to choose my, my next steps wisely. Yeah. Um, suggested me not to, you know, make guarantee anything that's going to give me further uh, impacts to the head. Mm. Um, and if if I can, like, uh, be aware of, have an awareness of how I've, I've been feeling yeah. and uh, behaving and and stuff like that, if anything comes up out of the blue, uh, go back and see him. Yeah. And also for those close to me to be, to be aware of my any changes that, that may happen. Now, those lesions in the brain... <clears throat> Were they the effect of your fighting career? Was it potentially um, a, a residual effect from something that happened to you as a child? Did did he tell you what those lesions were? Uh, I think they can appear out of nowhere or something, or like yeah, some some people have more than others. Mm. Uh, lesions can affect you. Some don't. Um, yeah, I'm not. I can't remember. I can't remember what he said, mm. but. Um, yeah, maybe those lesions have been there for a long time. Maybe they've accumulated over all those knocks and concussions that I've had. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I just don't know. But more or less, more. It's um, from those, uh, those <laughs> times that yeah, I've yeah. got those knocks. Yeah, yeah. pretty obvious. Um, the thing about your career, though, is that it does seem to be that towards the end of your UFC career your brain did change a little bit, you know, you, you, your chin did go and, you know, you did seem to be like a different fighter. Um, is there any, is there any program in the UFC to check whether 
fighters' brains are changing throughout their career? Is there, is there a baseline cognitive test? Uh, you know, they, is there a, do they do any scans before fights, or, or is that not not something that's part of the UFC? Um, no. So actually, I did have a a scan right before I signed up. Right. Yeah. So when I signed up with the UFC, I had to provide a brain scan. A brain scan. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so what? Did they show any lesions there or not? I think so. There was a couple, but right. then there's changes compared comparing to that last one there. Right. And that's what that uh, neuro, neurologist uh, yeah, brought up. Yeah. Um, to, are you? No one's ever approached you about the legal exposure of the UFC and their you know their their role in your career or anything like that. No. 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 That's never happened. No. Um, I spoke to you a few years ago. And you were doing a bit of jiu-jitsu and you're doing some powerlifting. And you were talking about um, uh, jiu-jitsu and lifting and stuff like that, um, elevating your mood, you know, like this confidence issue had sort of had, had re- resurfaced a little bit yeah. and you were trying to gain confidence again. You seem heaps happier now. Um, are you back competing again? Are you, you know, what, what are you doing now putting in place where fighting used to be? It's a, the hardest transition is when you, you know, experience all these highs and then come out of your career, your sporting career, and then there's nothing. Yeah. There's no more highs anymore. So I'm like, fuck, what do I do? Where's the so, money? Where's the, oh, you know, yeah, the hangers yeah, on? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah well, like, um, yeah, those highs, man, the, the, um, that thrill that I was, you know, experiencing every few months yeah. just wasn't there anymore. And I was like, also the cycle of life, you know, leading up to training, fight, enjoying, partying, going back going down, down, building yourself back up yep. again. Yeah. Yep. So um, I was doing a few things like keeping active, um, training most days and knew that I had to keep on training. Yeah. Um, and then what did I do? I got into like lifting, weightlifting, and then um, competing in strongman uh, competitions. So uh, strongman in the last like, I oh, say, one to two years, it's actually gained a bit of momentum now. Yeah, uh, a lot more people are more familiar with it, and um, it's to be honest, it's something that I get a bit of a kick out of. Yeah, yeah. I'm not that good at it, but like, when I started, I wasn't really good at it. I don't know, man. The videos that I've seen, I mean, for your weight, like how much do you weigh? You probably weigh about 100 kilos. Yeah, yeah. You'd be pretty small for a for for a strong man. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they they are weight divisions. Thankfully, yeah. So I'm not a big boy, yeah. Um, so my weight category, category, my weight division, I'm, I'm doing okay now. I'm doing quite good. Um, so but, give us, give us some of the numbers. Are they raw things like you know bench press and, and deadlift and stuff like that? Um, my deadlift. So it's strongman's like I've got a multiple events that uh, that you have to um, compete in, and events like you might have to pick up a keg. That weighs like a hundred kilos. Pick it up and race with it, and mm. quickly chuck it over like a height, and then race back. Yeah, so right. it's a lot of static movement. It's uh, quite different, but um, yeah. For example, like um, um, stone lifting or atlas stone. Um, a few people will be familiar with the atlas stone. It's like a big round concrete ball. Mm. You pick it up off the ground, and then you got to put it over a certain height over a bar, and um, it's a, it's tricky and it's a challenge. And it's something that I'll get a bit of a kick out of. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's. Mate, I get a kick out of watching your YouTube videos, <laughs> your uh, Facebook videos doing it. I'm just like, like, how heavy are they? Uh, so my best is 190 kilos. That's incredible. Uh, and the other ball. thing is, like, have you, have you dropped any on your foot yet? Yeah, no, I've been lucky enough to. Uh, <laughs> it kind of yeah, looks like it's a, a concern. 
But um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm building up a bit more pride in myself because when I first started, again, like it was a challenge to me. I, I liked it. Um, but I was at the bottom. Like me and my mate started out and I couldn't, you know, I wasn't good. I was at the bottom. Yeah. I was coming last and everything. I was the weakest link. And then knowing, having that same mindset is what I was, what I had when I was a kid. Okay, mm. well, what do we need to do? You know, I might take my mate, like, you know, maybe a week to go up 20 kilos. It's going to take me like six months <laughs> to do the same. Yeah. So, yeah, put in the time and, yeah, I know what the process is. Now, your your martial arts career, there's, there's positives and negatives. You know, th- there's been so many positives through your martial arts career. You know, the things that you've got the opportunity to do, um, the confidence that it's instilled upon you. There are negatives as well. <clears throat> you know, you have these lesions in your brain. Um, you know that your brain has been affected because of your career. Um, now, you're not competing in mixed martial arts at all. Mm. Do you look back at it and do you see it as a, as a net positive? It's something that was that was good for you in your life? My martial arts career, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. It's a big tool. It um gave me lots of strength. Um, if I didn't, if I wasn't involved in martial arts, I don't know what what could have happened. You know, it could have taken like another path. Yeah, my dad could have taken another path. My family could have taken another path. Um, yeah, I'm very happy that I got involved in combat sports and martial arts. Mm. It's yeah put me in a really good place and uh, many others in a really good place as well. You, you had this athletic career. You've got this second athletic career doing, um, doing strongman stuff. You know, at some point, as is the case with all of us, our bodies fall apart. Um, do you think you're going to be able to, you know, create the energy that's required to, to, to live a happy life when, when you're not doing athletics anymore? Yeah, well, like I <laughs> I've been thinking about that. I'm 40 this year, <laughs> and it's like I'm not, not going to go forever. I'm physically competing, but um, not everybody can be Mark Hunt. Yeah, yeah it's, it's <laughs> true. Still Man, he's a one in a million. <laughs> he's still going, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I don't know what I'm going to replace that thrill with. Yeah. Um, yeah. Physically, I don't know how to. Change that over. Yoga, man. You'd be yoga. Yoga instructors. Oh, who knows? Like, down about sixty-five kilos, and you're bending yourself up like a pretzel. Yeah, find some type of challenge that works for my body. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it could be yoga, it could be um, running or something like marathons or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'll just find something that my body's able to do. Yeah. So, James, thanks so much for your time, mate. Really appreciate it. Thanks, man. Cheers. That was James Tahuna, a somewhat forgotten giant of martial arts here in Australia and New Zealand, and a lovely and interesting guy. We hope you enjoyed the show and the chat. Please share the show and rate it on iTunes if you're enjoying it, and subscribe to make sure you catch new shows. We'll have another episode next week, and until then, follow your bliss.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.